You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life podcast. I'm Janine Strong, and every two weeks, I have an inspiring conversation with an ordinary person leading an extraordinary life. My conversation today is with Lynn Frazier, and we're going to talk about a subject I've been wanting to do for a while, PTSD. I really like conversations with people who are not only experts in their field, but have also had a personal experience. In 2005, Lynn was punched off of her bicycle by a mentally ill stranger as she rode to work one morning, and this led to her developing PTSD. She later learned that those with difficult childhoods are much more likely to develop PTSD. Our brains are shaped by our experience throughout life. When we are protected and loved, we know we belong and our systems can relax. When we experience disturbing events, our defense mechanisms go into high gear and we become hypervigilant, scanning for danger. This shows up in our nervous system, our emotions, and in compulsive, judgmental, catastrophic thoughts that steal our peace of mind. Many are not even aware that everyone does not live this way. So I'm really, really looking forward to hearing Lynn's journey of discovery and healing. Hi, Lynn. I'm so glad to have you on my podcast. Hi. so much. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm happy to be here, too. Oh, I so admire people who have been able to take an adversity and use it to inspire others and as a springboard to help others. And uh, you are the perfect inspiration for that. Oh, thank you. You know, that is one of the things that helps to make it um, worthwhile, that I can mm-hmm. take the suffering and the pain and the distress and not just heal myself, but also to be able to help others. That mm-hmm. really, it's such a meaningful, validating work that I'm able to do. I just love doing this work. Mm, I'm so glad. Well, I, you know, we had a nice chat before the recording, and I absolutely uh, get that energy from you. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with your story? Um, first of all, before um, this experience happened, uh, what what were you doing What in life? What was... Well, I had... Who were you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a big question. Um I had been working actually uh, doing accounting and bookkeeping, mostly for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked with the AIDS organization in Calgary for uh, seven years. I worked for uh, some feminist, I was a feminist activist, worked in that area for a long time in the 80s. And, um, and then in the 90s, I, mid-90s, I kind of burned out of working at a place that I cared so much. And uh, mm-hmm. started doing accounting for, for other people. And at the time that I was assaulted, I was actually working downtown Calgary in a big company and uh, mm-hmm. doing, uh, doing financials and that kind of thing. Not, not my passion, but, uh, it, you know, it was something that I was able to do and do well and I was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were on your way to work when this incident happened. Is that correct? Yeah, and it was November, so it was cold. You know, mm. it wasn't, there wasn't any snow, but it was cold. And um, I didn't know there was a woman just behind me who was uh, riding her bike to work as well. And she, luckily, lucky for me, she was, because that's really actually what saved me. And so I was riding along, and this guy came up. He had a shaved head. He didn't have a shirt on, which was pretty alarming, uh, given how cold <laughs> it was. So obviously, he was high or something, you know. And mm-hmm. he walked, you know, he kind of came up along the riverbank and then walked across the path. And I'm like, Oh, thank God, you know, and then he turned towards me and he just took three running steps and just nailed me in the side of the head. And I went off, oh my the, God, I went off the path onto the riverbank and I went into freeze. Um, uh, you know, I was upright still, luckily I hadn't actually fallen into the river. Um, oh, and, God. I, and I heard this woman screaming and it was the woman from behind me. And she stopped her bike about 100 feet away, which was such a brave thing to do, and started screaming. She called 911. But as soon as she started screaming, I, it took me out of freeze, and I was able to – I turned around, and he was at the top of the riverbank looking down at me. And I started screaming, and he just turned and walked away. Oh, my goodness. Did they ever catch him? Yeah, they did, because he wasn't that hard to catch. You know, he was 
not wearing a shirt and um and he 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 we saw him walk across i saw him walk across the the grassy area and um the cops found him a couple of a couple of blocks later and arrested him and he had just been out of jail for assault he'd just gotten out of jail about a week or mm. before that and um and the woman there was people at the halfway house where he was staying said we knew he was going to hurt somebody today he was just violent you, that energy but you know you can't preemptively oh that makes you feel better yeah exactly God. so it was just huh. a shock you know i just i had never nobody had ever physically hurt me like that before and and i thought i was going to die and i think if that woman hadn't stopped that he would have come down on the riverbank after me and i probably would have Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, a thought just occurred to me because I've uh, done an interview with Shannon Maroney about, around a restorative justice. Um, have you had any opportunity to confront him or have a... I did. I, yeah. I, I testified in court, mm-hmm. um, which was almost as traumatic as the assault. Oh, it I was very imagine. difficult, but I really felt strongly that I wanted to say my story and say what had happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, when that happened, I'd been meditating for about 12 years and doing teaching yoga and meditation. And I had a really, uh, you know, I was really stable in my system. And, mm-hmm. and when that happened, I was able to work with the PTSD through, you know, deep relaxation and yoga nidra practices, um, not meditation, because my mind was way too disturbed for meditation. But also, I was working with a psychologist who said, you know, they always say, get back on the horse. Like, don't let that scare you. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't imagine bringing my bike to work. She said, don't. She said, don't do anything that scares you. So when, we, when we're when we in a traumatic situation like that, and then we go right into kind of numbing out so that we can make it back into regular life, mm-hmm. our system is going like, that's crazy. This is scary. There's nothing. You shouldn't be doing that. And so she said, just stay home if you need to get someone to go across the street to the grocery store which I couldn't make myself do and she said let your body settle and your brain heal from this and then and then you will naturally move back out and it will help to heal the PTSD so I got some really good advice plus I had a lot of knowledge about how to do you know how to really work with my body and relax my body which really helped mm-hmm now, since I'm, I'm going to ask some questions as a person who has not had this experience. Mm-hmm. So now, when did you, so so just after, I mean, were you, hmm, how do I say this? When did you really realize that, like you were in trouble psychologically, mentally, emotionally? I mean, did it happen right away? Does it take time or for the PTSD to kind of set in or? Well, the first few days I was in shock. So I didn't have any flashbacks. I think the first flashback came about four days later. Um, And I, so I was just kind of numb for the first few days and didn't really know. Like when, when I went to the psychologist the next week and she said, you have PTSD. I'm like, number one, what is that? That's what's going to be the question I was going to ask you next. So since you're asking it, well, let's let's do let's talk about what is PTSD before we go on. It's it's a response in our body to being uh, threatened or to experiencing violence or the threat of violence or some traumatic event. And so there's two major well, there's a few major kinds. So there's complex PTSD or developmental trauma, which happens mostly in childhood. There's a disconnection. Uh, a feeling of I'm not safe, and that happens when people are in violent homes. And it also happens when there's emotional neglect, the child is just not attuned to, or where the parents are really struggling. You know, we talked before about you know financial pressure and all kinds of pressure people are under now. And so mm-hmm. these children are growing up with either harm being done and abuse, or at least neglect, where they're feeling really alone. And mm-hmm. Or they it. could have a good home situation, but maybe getting bullied at school. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. you know, parents don't have to actually be perfect. You just have to be good enough. And good enough, <laughs> what they're saying is about 30% of the time, the child has to feel like somebody's there for them. So that's not a really high bar, but it's an important. No, it isn't. And a lot of people don't have that. 
So one of the things that happened after I started really looking into PTSD is so there's shock, shock trauma, which is what I had. Uh, it could okay. be an accident. It could be something like that, too. Um, it could be that you, you know, the woman behind me who witnessed that, she said, I, had, I was just about to pull over around and pass you when I saw the guy. And so she said, that's so good to be me. And so she was very affected by it as well. Um, you know, people that go into the military, all of our first responders, police, ambulance, all of those people that are always dealing with this chronic violence and distress and human misery and suffering, a lot of them have PTSD because of the accumulation of, of just seeing that and feeling, <clears throat> feeling helpless and not being able to do anything about it. So the shock trauma, like crisis trauma, and then there's the ongoing um, kind of chronic trauma. And when you have childhood trauma, when you have developmental trauma, your brain and your nervous system doesn't develop in a healthy way. And so, you know, all of the neuroplasticity of the brain and the, and the synapses, everything that's happening in the brain, if you have a connection and you feel safe and, in, and you know, you're parented, you're in a family, then you develop, your brain develops differently than if you're not. And so... Mm -hmm. That early childhood developmental trauma really sets us up for PTSD later in life. So if a crisis happens or we go into, you know, the military or something like that, our, mm -hmm. our systems aren't as resilient. They're not as healthy. And so part of healing trauma is that we're able to regrow some of those healthier, some of those healthier patterns. But I went to a yoga nidra class um, four or five days later and laid down in crocodile pose, which is where you've got your hands in front of you, you're lying on the floor with your, your head in your arms kind of. And I, that was when I really got it because I couldn't, I couldn't lay there. I just started to panic. And I mm. got up and, uh, you know, just tried to kind of calm my body. But I was like, I was panicking. And that happened several times over the next few months. Um, you know, I, I, was standing at a corner in Calgary and some guy was just, I heard footsteps coming behind me and he was just trying to catch the walk light, you know, but mm -hmm. for me, it just went into a full panic, like, Oh my God, he's going to hit me or something, you know? So I wow. saw a lot of that. And, and, and also the flashbacks, I, you know, I would have flashbacks to different parts of the scene and, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I got some good treatment, so that really helped. And I also knew my own mind really well. So, so that helped a lot as well. Mm -hmm. Now in the, uh, the position, the crocodile position that you were in, in yoga class, mm -hmm. was that uh, similar to the position that you ended up in when you got it thrown off your bike? No, it wasn't. No, hmm. it was just, um, I, I think what had happened was I was starting to come out of shock and I was starting to get flashbacks so I think mm. before I was getting flashbacks, but this was a teacher that I'd been with a long time. I completely trusted him. The environment was absolutely safe, but it was my body. I didn't feel safe in my body. And mm. so putting my face down where I couldn't see what was maybe coming at me from behind, mm. that was, uh, I think what triggered that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So are, are you um, of the, I don't want to say opinion, but uh, that that when when you have a, a traumatic experience um, that is, say it's an a, an emotional experience, uh, but that that gets locked into the structure, the muscles of the body. Yeah, so trauma is definitely stored in the body, and I think that's why mm -hmm. there's so much interest these days around somatic healing. And, you know, mm -hmm. Dr. Peter Levine was, his book uh, was the, the only book I could find on PTSD at the time. And there's lots more now, but his work is really, he was really a pioneer in going, trauma is stored in the body and we need to work with the body in order to release it and heal it. So the work that I do with people isn't quite the same as somatic experiencing as what he teaches, but it's based on the same principle. And so what I know about the mind and the way the mind works and the body is that we have energy and sensations or feelings that are stored in the body along with the associated thoughts. So okay. if you were, you know, in my situation and that had happened, I had 
you know, a lot of tension in my body or contraction, or I had, you know, the, the feeling of tightness across the back of my neck and shoulders. And then when mm-hmm. you go into that energy, then the, the mem- if you're in a safe environment, when you're going into that energy and feeling into it, then the memories will start to come forward and you can start to work with, okay, that image, those words, that, you know, video clip. Um, and, and we start to, we start to, to be more interested and available to ourselves because when we have these things come up and we have, you know, that tight fist in your stomach or the black hole or the, the pressure we're clenching our teeth or, you know, our bodies can be so tight and mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. want to go there because whatever was stored was something we couldn't feel at the time. We were overwhelmed by it at the time. So okay. We need to have a safe enough environment where we can start to feel like, okay, um, you know, this person says that the answer to healing is to go into the body. And most people won't come there unless they get to the point where there's, you know, maybe they're starting to have panic attacks or they're really depressed or, uh, you know, life is just not very juicy because we're, you know, we're always kind of hypervigilant for danger. We don't trust, Mm -hmm. we get to be really isolated. There's all of these things that are happening that, I think it's really helpful to look at it first is, is this a trauma response and to understand, you know, everybody that I work with and I, and I'm not saying that I have a, 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 you know, a sample that's big enough to really kind of apply to everybody, but everybody that I work with has some unresolved childhood trauma and mm-hmm. it's times when we felt alone or powerless or there was some kind of an abuse going on and we, we can't afford to, to, and we don't have the brain development as children either to recognize and to see how that's a parent. You know, the parent has depression or that, you know, our parent um, has an addiction or they're really busy at work or they have a mental illness and they're not there for us. And when they're not, then what happens is we turn against ourselves and we think, well, you know, if I was smarter, if I was funnier, if I kept the house cleaner, if I did all of these things, then it would be okay. And people end up with these deep feelings of there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Lynn, I was wondering too, as you're speaking, if because I know, I think it was my mother had said that because I real I I mean I really have had a I was very lucky. Everybody wanted my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, but when my sister was born, mm-hmm. she's four years younger. That that was really hard for me because I'm not getting the attention anymore. Right. 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 So I, and I, it just, as you were talking, I thought, you know, I wonder it's possible that that could be considered, you know, kind of a traumatic experience. I'm sure it was. I I had never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is the difference then, and I may be wrong here. I'm, I'm kind of putting things together as you're talking of of something that could be considered a traumatic experience for someone is that they're not feeling it. If you're feeling it, like I, I've got a new e-bike, which I love, but I got my handlebars caught in a fence the other day. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, so I had an accident and, um, you know, I, and I, I could have, I mean, it could have been really traumatic for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, I wasn't hurt too badly, but... Um, but I'm ready to get back on the horse now that I got my mm-hmm. new brake lever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it, if it had been something where I blocked the feeling of it, uh, would that have been more of like a, considered a traumatic experience that could lead to, you know, possibly a PTSD or something? There is a connection here. So Dr. Gabor Mate, who many people mm-hmm. know is just such an expert and is such compassion and insight into trauma and how it works. He said his definition of one of the things he says about trauma is that it's anything that disconnects us from ourselves, our sense of value and the present moment. Mm, so okay. if you're in shock right after an accident, you might be kind of disconnected from yourself because you're in shock, but mm-hmm. that's going to wear off fairly quickly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a purpose for everything that happens in the nervous system. There's a purpose. And, you know, the purpose of shock is just to kind of help us get through what it is we have to get through, and then we'll feel it later. But if we've never had the the opportunity to have 
parents who help us to downregulate to feel our emotions and then mm-hmm. downregulate our emotions so that we have that stability. We co-regulate with people. If we've never had that opportunity, then we're not going to have the neural networks for one thing in the brain, but we're also not going to have the confidence that it's even a good idea to go in and feel something that's difficult. And, you know, mm. children are kind of left on their own. Then we just develop all of these beliefs and patterns. And a lot of them are to do with avoidance. And that's, you know, the root of addiction, of all of the distraction that we see. People aren't comfortable being with themselves because they believe at some deep level that there's something really wrong with them. And those beliefs are formed by experiences that we've had. And mm-hmm. that kind of a disconnection is is a, is the root of trauma. And then healing trauma is a lot of it is about reconnection. So how could we start to really be present in our body? Like how many people say, oh, I live from the head up. I have no idea what's <laughs> going on down there. Right? <laughs> and so how can we actually integrate and assimilate and start to live from our whole being? Well, a lot of the answer to that is that we have to find a way to be present with our physical body and our energy in our body and these beliefs that we formed that were incorrect. There's so much shaming and, and, you know, people have the inner critic and there's so much shaming and, and these core deficiency beliefs that are wrong. It's really hard to do that. And yet that's the only thing that's actually going to make a difference. We need Mm -hmm. to find a way to be compassionate and kind with ourselves and to really be on our own side and that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the key to the whole thing with healing trauma. So, Lynn, I want to get to like what kinds of techniques, what kinds of things you do to help people heal. Um, but first, oh dear, am I having a senior moment? I hope not. Um, well, okay. So, if a person, if a child, is taught in during their childhood not to you know, like, don't cry, don't feel this, don't be angry, mm-hmm. don't express your emotions, mm-hmm. don't feel. Do um, people who have been brought up that way have more of a tendency to develop PTSD out of a traumatic situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of it is because we need other people and we need other people to protect us, especially when we're children. But we need connection with other people. And if we don't have that connection, if we look at kind of an evolutionary point, if we were kicked out of the tribe, we died. Mm. And so part of it is that, and there's some really interesting study over the last several years about loneliness and isolation and social anxiety. And people who have experienced that nobody cares about them or that people are going to hurt them, if that was their experience in childhood, then it's no wonder that they don't want to have connection and so we're looking for it and we're afraid of it at the same time so all of these things kind of set us up but the but the if some people are fortunate enough to have someone to connect with and sometimes it's a teacher or it's an aunt or uncle or it's somebody else a coach or something that sees Mm -hmm. us and then values us for who we are and sometimes that's just enough to bring us through into adulthood and then we need to at some point, if we're going to heal from trauma, we need to be able to do that with ourselves. We need to be able to, you know, look at my 12-year-old and go, hey, you were really alone and you were really suffering and I'm sorry that happened and you're not alone anymore. I'm here and I'm not judging you. I love you. And mm-hmm. to have that really genuine, heartfelt connection with ourselves is something we wouldn't even think was possible unless we've had some glimpse of it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think what I, I just came to mind too. Um, when I was living in Northern Michigan, I joined Big Brother Big Sister, mm. and I had a little sister. Yeah. And I think that sort of thing, that type of one-on-one mentoring, we had. It, you know, I, I don't regret not having kids at all, but I, I am so feel so blessed that I had that connection with her, and we still have a strong connection. Oh, that's um, yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it was it was not not just for her, but for me too. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, I would encourage you can make such a difference and, and, and it doesn't take, you know, a huge amount of time or money exactly. um, you, for both of you to, to do something like that, to mentor a child who really could use, um, you know, even if they're, even if their home life isn't horrible, sometimes there's just not a connection, you know, yeah. or, mm-hmm. 
or um, like she, uh, her dad was out of the picture and her mom had to work and right. she had two younger brothers and she wasn't getting, you know, she just, her mom just didn't have the right the time or the energy to give her what she needed. And, mm. and it was, um, you know, I taught her how to rollerblade and <laughs> we just did all kinds of cool things together. And, and yeah, and we still, we still enjoy uh, staying connected. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage that anyway, if anybody's, you know, wants to know how can I, ha- you know, what can I do? Cause a lot of times you think, what can I do? Right. There's so much crap going on in the world right now and just so many people in pain and you know it doesn't always have to be uh, on a huge scale just just helping one person changing one person's life and it can be enough as well as theirs yeah absolutely yeah volunteer is one of the best things we can all do there's so much satisfaction comes from it but also so much connection so Mm -hmm. you know to helps, you know, help kids in school learn how to read or, I mean, there's so many ways that we can do that or, you know, just to, to find ways to connect with other people is good for us and it's good for them. Yeah. And I think especially if, if like for someone who has developed PTSD, maybe they can't, I know somebody who has, and she can't work right now. Right. right. You know, but maybe so, but maybe volunteering, doing some kind of volunteering, something to get, get out of yourself, something to contribute to, to be with other people. um, If you can't work. Well, and the thing about healing from PTSD too, is I feel like I pretty much have healed from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are still some things that alarm my nervous system. So the thing about our nervous system is that we never forget a danger. And our ancestors evolved that way. Better to be safe than sorry. Better to stay home at night where nobody can hurt you than to go out and take a risk to be social. And so we have all of that kind of primitive brain nervous system um, impulse to stay safe and to isolate and to protect ourselves that we have to work with. And so part of this isn't that I'm never going to feel completely safe maybe in some situations when you know, there's someone on the street that looks like maybe they're high or there's something going on with them. I get nervous. I get scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, that's understandable. And there's so there's things that I don't do anymore that I might have done before. But that's because I don't want to keep my nervous system in a state of red alert. I want to, you know, work skillfully with it so that I do enough. It's not like I never take any risks, but I try to be careful about the kind of risks that I take. And one of the things that happened after the PTSD was I be, I've become very intolerant of a lot of noise. And so, mm. I, you know, I, if I'm going to go to a movie, I'll, pit, I'll take my noise-canceling headphones, the big ones, and I'll wear them because otherwise I start to feel kind of assaulted by the noise. And so that's something that, you know, I feel a little bit goofy. I'm in a band, a jazz band, and I have to wear those things during practice. Otherwise, I'm too agitated by the end of the night, you know, but that's. Oh, my goodness. But Lynn, that's incredible that that noise has that kind of effect on you. And yet still you're in a jazz band. I think that's amazing. Well, luckily, there's really good uh, equipment that I can wear on my ears (laughs) so that it doesn't bother me as much. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yes. Noise can't. So do you use like noise canceling headphones or something? Yeah. 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 (laughs) And you can still hear enough so that you're. I can hear enough that I can still play and play in tune and everything, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't bother me. And so, you know, I had to admit to the conductor and to the other people, this is what's going on. So I need these. I don't want to hate you at the end of the night, which I will, if I don't have these on. (laughs) And so, Um, but you know, there's a lot of times that we feel kind of shaky about admitting that we have some kind of mental health vulnerability and, and, uh, yeah, I'm glad I've been able to find a pretty easy fix to that. Yeah. I, and as an aside, may I ask what your instrument is? Oh, I play the flute. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, that's cool that you found a workaround. Yeah. I mean, you, you haven't been able to change the response that you have to a lot of noise, right? But you've been able to find a workaround so that you can still do what you love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, okay. So let's get back to what what types of uh, modalities, techniques, what what types of things do you have you found uh, work to help people uh, heal from their PTSD. 
so, kind of work do you do? Yeah, so for the last, uh, since 1998, I've been teaching meditation, and uh, I began meditating in the early 90s, 93. And mm-hmm. so a lot of it is based on that. And, I, you know, I taught yoga for many years as well. So I really know a lot about the nervous system and the mind. So that's mm-hmm. part of it. And part of it is uh, I'm trained in the living inquiries, which is a method developed by Scott Killaby, who started looking at, it's a mindfulness inquiry based on an old Buddhist tradition. And we start Mm -hmm. looking at, you know, if I feel threatened, what's going on? So there's words, there's pictures, and there's feelings and sensations in the body. And so it's a very embodied mindfulness inquiry. And then, you know, everything that I've learned about trauma and and developmental trauma over the last several years. So a lot of it involves, I mean, all of it involves creating and helping to create a safe enough environment where people feel like they can actually go into their body and notice what's here. So if someone, for instance, has a a feeling of of heaviness in their chest, so we Mm -hmm. look at that and we go, okay, how would you describe that to a scientist? Is it... Well, it's heavy, it's moving, it feels like it could suck me in and I'll die, or it's black, or it's, you know, it's, it's pressing out against my, you know, uh, my, my ribs and I feel like I can't breathe. So we get a little bit clinical about how would you describe it. And then another question we look at is, does it feel like that energy is here to hurt you? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we have pain or if we're, we're having something that's constricting our breath, it feels like it's here to hurt us. And when we look into it every single time, it's no, it just wants to be seen. It wants to tell me something. It wants to warn me. It wants to be connected because it's a it's tra- trauma that's stored in the body. Mm-hmm. So, that's awesome. Now, yeah. when, when you do that mm-hmm. is because I've had, um, I've done some like breath work training and mm-hmm. different things. What we did was visualize or picture the the feeling, mm-hmm. like maybe it's a blob or whatever it is, yep. and then with our mind go down into it and actually go into it and, and experience it. Is this kind of a similar sort of thing? In a way, although, and, and some people have images of feelings and some people don't, some it's more mm-hmm. just kinesthetic. Um, so we would definitely, you know, one of the things we would do is, could I go right into the center of that energy? And then we listen. So instead of maybe working with the conscious mind, we just go into the energy and sit there and listen. And then whatever it is that's stored there is going to come up. So it might be a memory of something that happened when you were five. It might mm-hmm. be, um, you know, a memory of something that happened last week. It could be a voice that said, you know, Uh, you're disgusting or whatever it might be and so then we look and and oftentimes there's an age to the energy so you know if you Mm -hmm. go into something if if maybe it would be for you around the birth of of the next of your siblings you know and so you're Mm -hmm. years old and you know your your parents are really tired and everybody's excited about the new baby and you're kind of off to the side so what would that feel like in your body and you know what images would come up and and what might you need to hear from your adult self? Like that you're important, that you matter, that you know it's not your fault, that people are paying more attention here, that your mom's tired. I mean, there's so many ways just to connect with ourselves. And as we do, and as we try to, you know, oftentimes people have an inner critic come up and say, well, you shouldn't be feeling like that. Or, you know, you should, you know, she was just another baby. You shouldn't, you know. And so mm-hmm. as we do that, <clears throat> as we as we just really sit with it and let it all be exactly as it is. And also, we can stay grounded in the present moment. We're grounded in awareness of, you know, these are experiences that I've had. This is stored trauma. And I'm there's more to me than the experiences I've had. And there's more to me than the beliefs that I formed. And so to come back into awareness or witnessing, that's also really important because that helps us to be able to stay and stay grounded and present with ourselves. And that's the opposite of disconnection. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes mm-hmm. when people are feeling something like that in the body, we want out. We don't want to feel it. We dissociate or we daydream or we go, you know, work a lot or there's all kinds of ways that we get away. But mm-hmm. we need we need to be able to to stay present. And so 
that's the whole practice. So for me, part of the reason people work with me is because I know a lot about trauma and I can say, okay, this thing that's happening right now, that's a trauma response. And this is how it works for everybody. So everybody in that particular situation is going to have some kind of fight, flight, freeze, you know, reaction to it because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. And a lot okay. of the times we don't recognize it. We can't see the patterns that are happening. And mm-hmm. so I'm able to kind of be the grounded person who can help people stay. And the other thing is that I know with every cell in my being that there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. because I know that so clearly, then that also gets kind of passed along and it provides kind of a, a base for people where they start to go, OK, this thing that I thought was so wrong about me, that's these words, that's these experiences that I've had. This is the trauma response that everybody turns against themselves. Maybe it's not true. Maybe I'm actually OK. Mm-hmm. And then we can breathe and, you know stay in the body and, and, um, and, and really see, even if we feel like we did something that contributed to, uh, the trauma or, or we have beliefs about ourselves that we can still see, okay, those are words and pictures. Those are sensations in the body. And that's not, that's not true. We're not at fault. We're not to blame for what happens to us as children, especially, and mm-hmm. we don't have to take that on. I was wondering, Lynn, do you happen to have a, perhaps a a short uh, exercise that you could share with people? A little meditation or or something that um, that you do with your mm-hmm. with your your folks? Well, there's a really simple one that's that's really possible for everybody to use. And it only takes a couple of minutes. So yeah, for sure. Oh, great. Do that. Okay. okay. Yeah. I like to, when, whenever possible. So if you're driving, please don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eyes open if you're going to do it when you're driving. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, just stop the recording and start it up again when you're yeah. stopped somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so how long will this take so people know? Two minutes. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can pull off to the side for two minutes and do this. <laughs> So one of the things that oftentimes people don't realize is that there's five points in our body. There's the forehead and eyebrows, the the mouth and jaw, the back of the Mm -hmm. neck and shoulders, upper back, the chest, Mm -hmm. and our gut, our stomach, where we we tend to hold tension. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. practice works with the forehead and the eyebrows. And it works with anxiety or worry. So just bring your attention into your whole body for a moment. Take a couple of deep breaths. Relax your shoulders, relax your body. And then bring your focus into your forehead and your eyebrows. Just notice right now, what does it feel like in your forehead and eyebrows? Do you have your brows kind of in a frown? Are they kind of relaxed? You can move your eyebrows up and then let them settle. And as you're breathing out, really soften all of those subtle muscles, those small muscles in the forehead and eyebrows. You keep your attention on the forehead as you're breathing in, and then as you're breathing out the next time, let it soften even more. And then keeping your attention on your forehead and those muscles, bring to mind something that you worry about could be something you're worrying about right now or something else from the past. And see if you can really pay attention to the worry at the same time as you're paying attention to softening your forehead and eyebrows. (laughs) And every time you get kind of engaged in the worry, Maybe you've lost focus again on the forehead. Just bring yourself back to that. Soften your forehead, your your eyebrows, your eyes. And see if you can call up that worry. See the images, hear the words. As you soften your eyebrows and your forehead.
What was your experience with that? Um, I found it harder and harder to bring up the thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's a really effective it, way to work with worry. Yeah, it's it's nice. And like for me, my most of my tension is in the back of my neck and my upper shoulders. So would I just take the same process that you're doing and just apply it to that area? You could. Um, the worry thing tends to work more uh, with the forehead. But, okay. But what I what one of the instructions there was that on the exhalation, let it soften. Mm-hmm. And so you could definitely do that with your neck and shoulders and in between the shoulder blades, uh, all of that whole area of the upper back. And then mm-hmm. as you're breathing in, keep your attention there. So you're not trying to relax it more. You're just kind of keeping your attention there. And then the next time you breathe out, let it soften a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And keep your attention focused there and then a little bit more. And that can bring a deep relaxation into the body. And part of it is that our mind doesn't have half of the breath, like the inhale, just to wander off somewhere. But also part of it is just we need to keep ourselves focused there so we're not gathering tension on the inhale. Mm -hmm. Another really Mm -hmm. effective way to work with this, too, is to have a continuous, smooth breath, diaphragmatic breath. So a lot of times when I'm working with people or other times, people will hold their breath. And so as we breathe in, if there's any kind of anxiety, often we don't go right into the exhale. So going right into the exhale when we're breathing out, instead of holding our breath, that can be very calming for the nervous system. And Mm -hmm. as soon as we're finished breathing out, then we come right into the inhale. So we're like willing to bring the breath in and we're willing to let it go. And that, you know, there's so much of healing PTSD has to do with the nervous system and breathing in a smooth, continuous way signals our nervous system that we feel safe. And then as we feel safer, that signals the body that it's okay to relax. It's okay for the breath to get deeper even. And so we start to go in a positive direction with the nervous system. And our nervous system starts to experience what it's like to be relaxed and healing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So because there are some yogic practices where you hold the breath, but for for the purposes of what we're trying to do here, more of a circular, continuous in and out is much more beneficial. So the practices where we would be holding the breath or breathing out longer than we're breathing in, those kinds of things are practices Mm -hmm. we would do for us, you know, as practice. But as a regular 24-hour-a-day breath, it's really quite damaging to the heart muscle to be holding our breath all the time. And it's really common with anxiety and trauma. And so if you can just do that one thing, it's just to start to con- make your breath continuous and diaphragmatic and smooth, that will, that will increase your nervous system health and resilience more than anything you could do. And it's mm. very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would say to you know, try to be aware of when you're holding your breath. Yes. Yeah. Notice that so yeah. that you can change it. Mm-hmm. The first step in a, is always awareness. The first step in change. There's always awareness. We need to know what it is that we're doing. And so most people will have their, will hold the tension in their body in a certain way or certain place. And so if we know that, then you can go right to the neck and shoulders because if you relax those, then the whole system will relax. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Lynn, I, did I read that you do a free meditation online every day? Every day. And it's all, wow. almost four years now, which is amazing. So it's at eight o'clock Eastern in the morning and we meditate or do relaxation exercises. It's all guided practices. So one of the things about trauma and anxiety and depression as well is that our mind is not very steady and stable. So it's very mm-hmm. helpful to have a guided practice and right. it's, it's free. It's all on my website. You can get the link to it. And you just come and some people come every day and they have for years and other people come for a while and then, you know, life gets in the way and they come back again. It's really a wonderful group of people. Well, I have to say, Lynn, I'm impressed every day. I was impressed with myself doing the podcast every other week for three years, but <laughs> yes, well, that kind of <laughs> you beat me, girl. <laughs> well, you know, I love doing it so much because I get a lovely meditation and relaxation as well. But sure. I also, you know, we connect with the people that are there and it's, yeah, it's wonderful to be able to do that. So people can get that on my website. It's lynnfraserstillpoint.com. So it's L-Y-N. Mm-hmm. And spell Fraser just because there are different ways yeah. to spell it, I think. So it's L-Y-N-N-F-R-A-S-E-R and then stillpoint. 
com. Okay, great. And what other services do you offer people? I do a lot of groups and classes. The one that we're working on right now is Friends with Your Body. And I'm also <laughs> working on a book of that title. And a lot of it is about healing trauma somatically in our body, the kind of things we've been talking about. And I work individually with people as well. And uh, you can get all of that on my website. Sometimes I do in-person retreats. I'm doing a women healing trauma retreat at the end of September here. And I do women healing trauma groups as well online. Most of what I do is online. So if you're not in Nova Scotia, that's not a problem. <laughs> Which most people probably aren't. Yeah, there's not very many people live here. <laughs> Yeah. And what's the name? I know you've also have a, a book that's already been published. What's the name of the book that you're so that's your first book? Yeah. Friends with your mind, how to stop torturing yourself with your thoughts and mm. it's available on Amazon as a, a paper or Kindle. Great. Great. So people, what's the best way for people to contact you? Is it, is it through your website? Mm -hmm. The website is good. Or they could email me, lynnfraserstillpoint at gmail.com. Um, yeah, and I'm always happy to hear from people. I really recommend that people come to the morning practice if they can. I mean, it's not morning in Europe. Lots of times, you know, there's people from Europe as well. Um, but come, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, Eastern New York time. And it's free. It's every day I'm there live with people. And um, it's a, it's, I've seen a lot of people just come to that. And then sometimes they come to my classes. I feel so strongly about the benefit of regular practice that if you come to the practices regularly, like, you know, half or three quarters of the time, then you come to my classes for free. And I feel so strongly that it's beneficial. I've seen it so many times. People are like, I always used to hold my breath and now I don't. And it's really made a difference in my nervous system. Or, you know, I just understood this wow, I didn't know that that was trauma. I didn't, I, I, I didn't have it as bad as some people. So I just thought that wasn't trauma. And so mm -hmm. it's really helpful to understand that too. Is there a way, like that would be five o'clock in the morning for me. Yeah. There's just no way. Uh, I, um, I'm trying to think like, is there a way that it could be recorded so that like when I get up, I could do it. You could, yeah. And so my YouTube channel has, I don't know, 800 of them or something like that on there. Uh, oh my! It's Lynn Fraser Still Point, and there's uh, inquiries on there as well as uh, things for your nervous system, things about trauma. Insight Timer is a popular meditation app, and I'm on there. Uh, that, oh, cool. That th that couple of minute thing with the worry in the forehead is on there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And You to Me, there's courses on there, and um, yeah. Now, what's You to Me? I don't know oh, that. You You to Me U D E M Y dot com is a oh, online okay. course. You can take courses from there. So there's one oh. I have on there about anxiety, one about crisis trauma, um, and one about breathing and a couple of things. So um, all of that stuff you can see through my website. So that's the best place to go and, and at the mm -hmm. portal to everything. I have, cool. a weekly, I have a weekly blog newsletter where I uh, you know, cover different things around trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm really impressed with all the work you're doing. I think it's awesome. And... Um, you were obviously the right person for me to connect with to talk about PTSD. I think this is a really important subject. And I think for a long time, you know, most of us thought of PTSD as uh, related to military service. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but what do you know around what, when um, people started to realize that it was a lot more than that? When did that become... Well, I would say probably the last five years has been really significant. Oh, that, not you know, that long maybe ago. 10, okay. Maybe 10, but you know, mm -hmm. I was assaulted in 2005 and at that time, literally no, I would say I have PTSD and people say, what is that? They mm. didn't know what the initials meant. And so, you know, what does it stand for? It's post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then C PTSD is complex post-traumatic traumatic stress disorder. And that's, more for the developmental trauma and, um, you know, for more chronic, longer-term trauma. So there's okay. a lot of really good resources. Um, Gabor Mate, anything that he does is is really helpful around mm -hmm. trauma and mm -hmm. addiction. Um, you know, certainly Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk has written a wonderful book, When the Body Keeps the Score. And, um, 
you know, he really goes through trauma and how to heal it. There's a lot of understanding now. You can all you can find almost everywhere trauma informed yoga classes now, and mm-hmm. it's um it's really over the last five years especially there's just been this explosion of you know psychotherapists going hey maybe we need to be working in the energy in the body as well as just talking about it. So there's a lot of stuff around that now, and mm-hmm. there's there's just so much. It's like one of those ideas whose time has come. <laughs> that, you know, with somatic healing in the body around trauma. And, mm-hmm. and just that a lot of people are, are traumatized that don't realize that, you know, if you have an inner critic that's just lashing at you all the time, that's trauma. And mm. it's traumatic to have that going on. And you don't have to actually put up with that. We don't have to be at the mercy of those kinds of responses in the body. And, you know, if you're really hypervigilant and you really have trouble um, just just keeping a, a smooth breath and, and not being scared all the time, then that's also trauma. And it's, you know, our primitive brain, our nervous system have become alarmed. And there's a lot of ways that we can heal that. So I would really encourage people to take heart and to move positively towards something that's really going to help. Wow, what an amazing ending. That's just perfect. Thank you so much. This has been really wonderful and really enlightening and uh, I have to say while you've just been talking I've caught myself holding my breath three times (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for having me on I really enjoy talking about this and I've loved talking with you too so thank you for having me here thank you Lynn it's been great take care thank you too bye bye Thank you for listening, and thank you so much, Lynn Frazier, for sharing your story and the work that you do. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen to or download episodes and click on links to my guest information. You can sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter to keep up on new episodes, archives, life updates, and always a healthy recipe. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And check out my podcast YouTube channel with video slideshows of my conversations. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Lynn Frazier? I'm pretty sure you do. So please, please share the love. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.